0: welcome to this colorado legal education podcast thanks for listening hi this is Allie Smith. i'm um, an attorney with the law firm harrington brewster and klein here in denver we specialize in family law litigation family law mediation and also collaborative law and i am danae woody i am also a family lawyer here in the denver colorado
1: area and my firm focuses exclusively on family law and family law mediation. I'm also a member of the Colorado Bar Association's Young Lawyers Division Executive Council, as well as the Executive Council of the Family Law Section.
0: And we are going to talk today about temporary orders in family law cases or temporary orders in domestic relations cases. And I just want to uh, give you a kind of a general overview of of the purpose of temporary orders and what they are. So the purpose of temporary orders are really to preserve the status quo um, pending a final divorce or dissolution of marriage uh, proceeding. So the idea is that the courts will enter interim or temporary orders if there is some reason to believe that one party or both parties are not able to maintain some sort of um, balance or family harmony, if you will, while the case is pending, whether that has to do with parenting time or custody issues, or whether it has to do with um, assets, debts, um, use of marital property, and the like. So that's very generally the intent of temporary orders, and it's, it's a method for the court to provide some interim intervention while a case is pending as needed. So, Danae, in your cases, or with clients you've worked with, when have you found that temporary orders might be appropriate, and then when have you found that they are not necessarily appropriate?
1: So, temporary orders can be useful uh, for for many different to accomplish many different goals, as as Allie alluded to. Uh, there are several issues that are going on during a dissolution of marriage that may need to be addressed. And depending on your county, it may be several months before a permanent order's hearing. And so um, an example of a time when temporary orders are particularly useful when it comes to the financial side of things, for instance, is if there's a spouse who has historically been either the lesser-earning spouse or maybe a stay-at-home parent – who's gotten accustomed to a certain standard of living and has gotten accustomed to being able to operate under a certain budget. And then when you add in a lot of costs, like adding a second household during a dissolution proceeding, adding costs of attorney's fees and experts, sometimes those budgets that were previously established and and, um, were sort of the status quo during the marriage become untenable. And so temporary orders can be very useful for instance, if there's a spouse that might be exhibiting some uh, excessive spending behaviors, uh, especially when paired with maybe a request for payment of their attorney's fees as well, and also some spousal maintenance in the meantime, um, sometimes it's it's our job as practitioners to educate our clients and to go through this process in order to help people reestablish a status quo or. or establish a new status quo that's going to be a lot more feasible for their families. Another time when uh, temporary orders are pretty useful can be early on in the case if one parent, for instance, is behaving as though they ought to have or do have, unilateral decision-making control, for instance, or if they've decided that they are going to set the parenting time schedule until a court does. That's a time when I like to file a motion for temporary orders or at least mention it at the initial status conference so that the court knows that this is an issue and so that an opposing party or an opposing counsel can be aware that this
0: isn't something
1: that everybody is going to be okay with going forward. We need to really focus on it.
0: Absolutely, and I do think... um reminding parties or clients um, when a case is filed, there is an automatic injunction that comes into play with respect to all of their um, marital property. So if I notice or get word from a client that their spouse or soon-to-be ex-spouse is um, suddenly canceling insurance and stopped payment Mm -hmm. on their mortgage or their debts, they Um, sometimes a gentle reminder that that, there already is an automatic temporary injunction that is essentially requiring both parties to maintain the status quo. That is sufficient, but sometimes it is not sufficient, and I think um, parenting time also is one of those big issues, and and people often need to get some immediate intervention from the court. Typically, if they're the parent who has moved out of the marital home, for example, and the other parents not allowing them to come and see the kids, I, I think that's a a tough place to be and so asking for pretty quick court intervention is important or at least putting the court on notice it is an it is an issue. Um, what are your thoughts?
1: I absolutely agree and I wanna point out that there is a difference between interim orders, emergency orders at an initial status conference, and temporary orders hearings. Right, Allie? Right. That's absolutely right. So A lot of times I'll get clients in my office who want – who are being – who are having their parenting time withheld, and it's prior to the initial status conference, and they want to have a quasi-evidentiary hearing at the initial status conference. What do you think, Allie, about the propriety of – trying to raise those issues at an initial status conference?
0: Well, I, I definitely don't think that at an initial status conference, or ISC as we refer to them, that is appropriate if the court has not indicated that there's going to be an evidentiary hearing. Um, it certainly is not appropriate, although I have found that there are many ver- many proactive judges around um, the metro area, at least, that will address those issues. They won't necessarily enter orders at the temporary orders hearing because they understand there's a due process issue that they have a problem with, um, potentially, if they decide to enter orders at that time. But they will provide some good feedback, if you will, um, that can be really helpful. And again, I think putting your judicial officer on notice that there could be an issue and then getting some feedback sometimes is enough to resolve the issue. So you don't need to end up getting or having a full temporary orders hearing, which is an expensive process. It's a time consuming process. And depending on how quickly the county your case is going to be heard or the county your, your case is in um, is setting out their permanent orders hearings, it might not make sense to do that.
1: So what if a a client comes to you and they tell you that they can't afford your attorney's fees because they haven't worked for 25 years and their spouse
0: makes all the money and keeps all the money? So that is a situation where temporary orders might be appropriate, and we can ask for prospective attorney fees. We can ask the court to order the other side or the spouse who manages the money or controls the money, if you will, um, to provide access to the lower earning spouse for um, certainly for attorney fees and and often for other bills if needed too if one spouse has cut the other off in some way.
1: Have you also had success in asking the court to determine which of the parties get to live in the marital residence?
0: Um, I have yes and the court absolutely has authority to do that. There's case law that indicates a, a judge can make very clear orders regarding temporary use of the marital home and you the overarching public policy behind that is that particularly if there are children, um, you don't want two parents under the same roof going through a divorce and then exposing the kids to the conflict that um, undoubtedly, well, not undoubtedly, but that quite likely will ensue if they're trying to live under the same roof and go through a divorce. So um, yes, courts absolutely have the authority to do that. I do have a colleague, though, who very recently had a case where she went to a temporary orders hearing on this very issue. And the judge decided um, that he did not have authority to do that and decided not to enter orders regarding use of the marital home and essentially said they each had to stay in the marital home and figure out how to, a way to be in the home together while the case was pending. So I'm telling that story because I do think it's really important to know your judicial officer and get some feedback as to how they will address temporary orders before you decide to um, advise your client to take the time and spend the money to go through that process.
1: So, Ellie, you've mentioned a couple times uh, spend the money on the process being a major consideration. So, what are your what are your considerations when deciding whether that maybe a temporary orders hearing is not the way to go?
0: I, th- you know, obviously the financial resources of the family is going to be the first point we look at. If it's a moderate income or you know low income family that doesn't have a ton to spend on. Divorce litigation. I will really strongly advise them to figure out a way to resolve these interim orders without amping up the litigation and saving their resources if possible for the final hearing. So that's the first piece I consider. The second thing I consider is how quickly the county we're in, as I said, is going to hear the temper, the final orders or the permanent orders hearing. Because sometimes it really just doesn't make sense um, to proceed to temporary orders if you're going to be another few months out from permanent orders, but In cases where there are really complex financial issues and one spouse is not uh, I <laughs> not appropriately using marital money while the case is pending and it looks like there's going to be a, a good period of time before we get in front of a judge for our permanent orders. In that case, I think it, it it's definitely something a party should consider proceeding to temporary orders. And then likewise with children, I mean, if it is an issue where there is a significant restriction of one parent's time or major concerns regarding parenting. In that scenario, I really um, strongly advise parties to consider it. So another thought that I have that
1: I also consider when deciding really whether to file a motion for temporary orders or whether to ask for temporary orders at the initial status conference is how critical are these issues that are coming up and and are they issues that are extremely important to my client for reasons, for maybe non-legal reasons, um, and does this situation require me to do a little bit of client education? And the reason that I have that consideration is because if you're going to request temporary orders, in my opinion, it should be for a critical reason. And judges judges really appreciate when attorneys don't waste their time or when they're not perceived to be wasting their time. And so um, judges also really like to see attorneys and parties in their own cases not contributing to and creating more conflict than maybe was otherwise necessary. And so... It's really important early on in your case to not set the judge up essentially to have a bad taste in his or her mouth before you even walk in the door. So I really like to make sure that the issues that we're essentially running to the court for help about are are major issues. And if, if it's an issue that... Your client is very emotionally uh, invested in, but otherwise, after after some discussions, you might be able to explain to them why this may not be the course of the correct course of action or the most strategic course of action. I absolutely think it's worth it's worth thinking about that, spending some time and talking with your client about that and about the potential repercussions for asking the court for intervention when maybe it's not the most serious of issues. And that's not to say that um, any issue with a child or with overspending in a marriage isn't serious, but there there is a balance.
0: I agree, and I think, I mean, this is a big generalization, but I do think that the trend I've seen, at least in the metro area, is... Um, counties is that there is somewhat of an aversion to temporary orders. I have had some court facilitators tell me they don't set temporary orders. They have the blanket sort of rule. So I think, again, knowing your county and, and really having a sense of what um, is appropriate and then what's what partic- your particular judge typically does with temporary orders is really, really important. So then you can set your client's expectations up. Uh, appropriately when they're wanting to get interim orders or temporary orders.
1: Sort of a final thought that I have about that is also if you're going to litigate temporary orders and you have a particularly high conflict matter, it's highly likely that you may end up litigating the same issues twice because you're going to be back at permanent orders again. And so really, it's important to determine whether these issues are worth litigating twice.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, uh, The law says that the, the temporary orders are not necessarily or do not set precedent, or they set some precedent, I suppose, but they don't have to be followed at permanent orders. However, I think, you know it is setting some case history up. So you are creating a standard, even though the court does not have to be bound by the standard and shouldn't be bound by the standard. It still sets a standard. So I think being careful of that is important.
1: There's absolutely case history. And there's there's just a history of how the judge feels about the parties and feels about the attorneys. And when they take a look at that court file online, if it's already six tabs thick before you get to permanent orders that's something that they are going to notice and they're going to think about that i agree so thank you thank you for listening
0: thanks for listening for more information on this topic and many others visit cle.cobar.org cle